0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please, don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. If you already have your Bible, to you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. Um, thank you, I'll take that. I had this idea for a sermon series, um, kind of been percolating for a month or so. Um, but when we were away on vacation, the Lord gave me a title for it. Everywhere you go these days, and of course, I am not really technologically savvy. Uh, I just got a smartphone about a year ago, and I went kicking and screaming, you know, out of my old flip phone. Um, but we, um, I'm trying to move into the modern world. There are others who are f- forcing me, pulling me into it. But everywhere you go, somebody says, I got an app that I have to download so that I can get the information and I used to just be able to ask real people to get. Um, now I have an app that I can download and it tells me all this stuff. And everywhere. We were even on Alcatraz here a week or two ago, and they download an app. The National Park Service has created an app that you download on your phone and you take the tour there and, and Alcatraz and all. Um, this really is interesting because app is simply short for application. And the message, the series of sermons the Lord's been putting on my heart for this summer is to talk about the, the passages of Scripture, the particular verses where the Lord has given specific application to me and it literally has changed my life. Now, a couple of summers ago, we did a series of sermons that messages that changed my life. There were messages I've heard through the years. And this is similar though, expanded in a little different direction. These are specific verses, specific truths from God's word that when applied to your life and to my life, God uses it to radically change us. So as we go through each one of these sermons stands alone. We kind of do that in the summertime because a lot of people are going and coming and vacations and all of that. Each one of these stands alone. And I want you to do something for me too. If you understand the vision here and you will more after the sermon today, if there's a particular verse that the Lord has applied to your life that you say has been transformative, it has changed the way you live, the way you think, it has changed your life in a dramatic way, I'd love for you to share that with me. Um, the verse and a little bit of the story, a little bit of how God used that to change your life, the way he applied that to you to change your life. Now, you'll learn this about me. I'm a to-the-point sort of guy, so don't give me a 14-page, you know, you know the t- every detail of it just briefly. You can email it to me uh, or you can call here at the church or whatever, but I would love to hear how God has done this because what I'd like to do in this series of messages is to work some of those into the messages so that you get to hear from people sitting around you of how God has taken his word and applied it to their life and radically changed them. Now today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 11. And it was really difficult. I was praying about where to start in it? Because there's, there's, there's quite a few, and it's like, okay, Lord, where do we start? And when we're on vacation again, the Lord kind of narrowed it down for me where to start. We had a great time together, and the whole family was, uh, was together, and just all that, that God allowed us to do, and just spending that time, and, and you're away from everything else, and it really is neat. But at the end of our vacation, just the day before we left to come home, um, the rental car was broken into, and Lori's purse was stolen. And as we were there, um, you know, everybody's a little rattled and shaken over all of that. And I'm immediately thinking, okay, what do I need to do? And I need to call and cancel her credit card. I need to call the police report. And, you know, I'm, I'm going through all this. And Elizabeth runs around the corner, and she's got this look on her face. And hard to describe, just, uh, you know, the shock, the, the, just all that was going on in her little face. And she looked up to me, and she goes, Daddy, you said Jesus would protect us. That's a really astute comment, and it was a comment question, as she said it to me, because I had said that. Matter of fact, I had just said that recently as we were going along, and we were having a conversation about something, and I just, I didn't mean it flippantly, I just said it automatically, Jesus will protect us. He does, he protects us. And so she's, she's asking, she said, Dad, how does this fit in with what you told me that Jesus will protect us? And um, I want to talk about that this morning in Matthew 11. The verse is very simply this. Jesus says to them, and blessed, spiritually prosperous, emotionally settled. That's my definition of blessed. There's a spiritual prosperity and emotional groundedness, wholeness, if you will. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me some translations may have, who don't stumble at me. Wait a second. How how can we be offended at Jesus? How do we stumble at Jesus? As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Luke 17, and you can jot it down, you don't have to turn over there, but Luke 17, verse 1, he said, it's impossible but that offenses, stumbling, will come. It's impossible not to have offenses. It's impossible for things not to happen in your life that cause you to stumble. But the difference is in Luke 17, Jesus is talking about offense that comes because of sin. Stumbling that comes because someone else sinned, they did something... And, and violated me in some way or violated someone else, and it becomes a stumbling block. It's something that I stumble over. And in Luke 17, Jesus says, it's impossible for these things not to happen. They will happen in your life. But he says, you don't want to be voluntarily engaged in being a stumbling block for somebody else. You want to have the power of the Spirit at work in you and in me so that we're not a stumbling block to someone else because of our sin. But Jesus doesn't sin. Jesus says in Matthew 11, you're blessed if, you don't, if you're not offended by me. But I can't be offended in the same way Luke 17 is talking about because Jesus doesn't sin. There's no way that I could trip over Jesus because of his sin. So what's he talking about? Well, the context of Matthew 11 is John the Baptist in prison. And he has, he's hearing what Jesus is doing, how people are being healed being set free, and the dead raised, and all these things that Jesus is doing. So he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. He says, ask him, are you the one, or should we look for another? Are you the one what? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one, are you Messiah, are you the one promised, or should we look for another? This is an interesting question coming from John the Baptist. Because early on in his ministry, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he comes out to the Jordan River where John is baptizing. And John sees him coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew exactly who Jesus was. As a matter The scripture says that Mary and Elizabeth, their encounter when John was still in the womb and that John was full of the Holy Spirit from the womb. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was Messiah. So here we are sometime later, Jesus is involved in his ministry, and John is in prison for for doing exactly what God had called him to do. And John says, go ask him if he's the one or should we look for another? Do you know how we get offended in Jesus or get offended at Jesus? It's not because of his sin. It's because of the things that he says and the things that he does and the direction that He leads our life or allows our life to go, or things that happen within our life that don't seem to make sense to us. They don't line up. And if I'm not careful, I'll be offended at him. He becomes a stumbling block to me. It's like Elizabeth's question. Dad, I thought you said Jesus would protect us. See, in her question, she's getting to the heart of the matter. It seems to me, Dad, that either you didn't tell me the truth or Jesus didn't live up to his end of the bargain. Anybody ever been there? Anybody there this morning? Yeah. This verse and the application of it has changed my life. First of all, I had to wrestle through the fact that I could be offended by Jesus. I could be disappointed with Jesus. Not because of sin that he does, but because I did not understand. I thought, I didn't think clearly. I misunderstood what he said. Or I interpreted what he said in a way that he never applied it in my life. It's really easy for us to hear something and then based on this picture that we have in our mind, we go off and we develop an image. We have, a, we have this picture. We live our life. We build it around what we think we heard. Let me give you an example. Philippians, Scripture says, my God, Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Good verse, isn't it? It's a great promise. I have heard it used so often by many believers. God said he'll supply all my needs. Yes, he did. But let me ask you, where in that verse does he define what needs are? Where does he define it? He doesn't in that passage. As a matter of fact, the only place I can find in the New Testament really where I think there's a definition of need is when the Scripture says, with food and clothing, be content. If you have something to eat and you have something to wear, your needs are supplied. Yet in Philippians, it doesn't tell us what needs are. But as soon as I say that, as soon as you hear it, as soon as I hear it, we start defining need. I already have a picture, I have an image in my mind of what need is. You said you would supply all my need, and I need this, Lord, and you didn't supply it. You haven't supplied it. Do you see the problem? We hear something and we immediately interpret it, but we're not asking or even open to the Lord speaking to us and saying, Lord, how do you want to apply that? How do you want to interpret that in my life? It's really, really important that you and I are able to understand this because if we don't, we take certain, let me give you another one. In Hebrews, it says, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never turn my heart away from you. It's true. It's a great promise. But he does not say in that passage that there won't be times I feel like he left. There are times when it feels like he's not with me and that his heart has turned away. The truth of the matter is he has it. He has not left me. He has not moved away. And yet at times I feel like he has. But I immediately, I read that verse and I interpret it. I simply make this decision. That means that I'm never going to feel lonely. I'm never going to feel like he left. I'm never going to feel like he's not with me and caring for me. Because I'll be honest with you, there have been times when I felt very much alone. And I began to question, Lord, you said you'd never leave me. But at this moment, I feel very much alone. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying here? It is important. Blessed is the one who is not offended in Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus is, it's a long chapter, and we're not going to turn over there. You can jot it down. You can read it later. There's, I think, 60-some-odd verses in John chapter 6. In that chapter, Jesus talks about a number of things. One of them, he says, I am the bread of life, and that he goes on to say that if you want to experience life, you have to take me, you have to eat me, eat my body, and drink my blood. And it says that, and of course the Pharisees are there and the disciples are there and there's a lot, there's a big crowd and Jesus starts talking like this and they're thinking simply from a physical sense. And it sounds like cannibalism and they are, they are wigged out. They don't know what in the world is he talking about? Eat his body and drink his blood. Jesus has lost his mind. And the Pharisees said, he's crazy. And even his disciples are like, Lord, we don't get what you're saying here. Jesus goes on to explain them. He said, you're thinking simply in a physical sense. I'm talking about spiritually. But in verse 60, I believe it's 60 or 61 of chapter 6, Jesus says, why are you offended at my words? Why are you stumbling over my words? I'll tell you why. is because they heard his words, and then they interpreted them, they applied them, and it didn't make any sense. Jesus said, you didn't hear. You didn't hear correctly. And he went on to explain to them, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually, you must receive me. I'm laying down my life for you, my body, my blood. And spiritually, you must receive me, just like you receive food, and it strengthens and nourishes you. It revitalizes you. It does all these things. You have to receive me. But they didn't understand it because they were looking at it through their own lens, through their own vision, their own frame of reference. And folks, <clears throat> I can't tell you how often, as, when I talk to believers, we do this. We take something that Jesus has said, And it isn't working out the way we thought. And so now I'm left with one of two places to land because I'm either offended at Jesus because Jesus didn't live up to what he said. I told you a moment ago about my sister being burned. My parents walked through that, and of course I did too, but I was younger. But my parents walked through that. And for my dad, I think for the rest of his life he struggled with something. I don't know where he landed, honestly. I do know he struggled with it, but there was a bitterness. God, I did everything you asked me to do in life, at least from his perspective. You know, I tried to serve you. I tried to do the right things. You know, I tried to love you and, and, and do all this, and then you allow this to happen to my daughter and my life. And I know that for years, my dad struggled with that. Why? He was offended by Jesus. He was offended by him. And I get it. I, don't, I know what it is to lose a sister. I have no idea what it is to lose a child. And the hurt and the anguish. My parents, I think, are a good example of what t- tends to happen in these situations. My dad had a tendency to blame God. My mom blamed herself. Because here's the thing. If you're not going to blame Jesus, then what are you left with? I messed up somehow. Jesus said he'd do this, but he didn't do it. And so all I'm left with now is I messed up. I didn't do it right. How many of you, you can say from experience, you've been in one of these two places? Jesus didn't do what you thought He was going to do, and it was either His fault or your fault. How many have been there? All right, most of us, because these are the two places we naturally land. Either He didn't live up to His word, so I'm upset, I'm offended, I'm bitter at Him, or I didn't live up to my my end of the bargain. And so it's my fault. As a matter of fact, that has been very common in churches and in ministry, in Christian ministry here in the United States for years and years, is we often, we're not going to blame Jesus, so we blame us. You didn't live up. (laughs) Here's the problem with that, okay? When I go through Scripture, I can find some cause and effect where certain individuals did this and you saw God do this. And you think, oh, that's great. So that's the formula. This is how it works. You do this, and God does that. But then I kept reading my Bible. And then there are other places where it doesn't make any sense what God did. Job. By God's own testimony, Job is the most righteous man on the planet. He fears God. He hates evil. This is God's testimony of Job. He points him out to Satan. He says, have you seen Job? Have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody else on earth like him. And then the Lord allows Job to go through literally hell on earth. Wait a second, Lord, you said that Job did it right. He wasn't perfect. We see that at the end of the book of Job. But here was a man who was loving God and hating evil. He was trying to do everything he knew to do the right way but his story doesn't look like the reward that you get for doing it the right way. You say, well, in the end, it all works. Yeah, but how many of you know that the end doesn't look so great when you're right in the middle of it, all right? Sometimes it's hard to keep looking at the end when today I'm in the middle of this, and I feel like I'm going to drown today. John the Baptist, we just were reading about him. Jesus goes on, and I love this. Otherwise, i tell you how I would preach this. If Jesus hadn't continued this story, I would have preached this, well, John was doubting, and because he was doubting Jesus, even though he knew who Jesus was, he got his head cut off, all right? That's how I would preach it. That's that's the natural conclusion I would come to. John was doubting. If he hadn't been doubting, he'd have still had his head, all right? But Jesus, immediately after this, you, you, you can read it for yourself, Jesus says, he starts talking to him, he says, who was John? Who was it that you came out to see? And it's in that section of scripture that Jesus says, there's not a greater born among women. Well, if there's not a greater born among women, Jesus, why don't you rescue him from prison? Why don't you get him out? But he doesn't. On the other hand, Peter, he is messing up every time he turns around. He's always doing or saying the wrong thing. He denies Jesus three times. He's even later on, Paul has to come to him and reprove him because he's preaching the gospel that you don't have to follow Jewish regulation to be a believer, but then when he gets in church with his Jewish brethren, he won't eat with the Gentiles. And so Paul has to reprove him for this, for this hypocrisy, this double standard, Poor Peter's always messing up. Jesus delivers him from prison. John gets his head cut off and Peter gets delivered. Now you go figure. Do you understand why it's easy to be offended with Jesus? Because I'm telling you folks, by the way we think, we're going to look at things sometimes and it just flat out aren't going to make sense. How many of you love the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? Do you know that that song came out of such anguish because H.G. Spafford, literally came to a place of a breakdown because when all of that happened to him he lost his daughters everyone but his wife and then his business burned in the Chicago fire and all this took place and the folks he went to church with looked at him and said you must have done something to anger God there's no other explanation for all the misfortune that has fallen on you and he almost lost his mind sounds like Job's friends For some of you, I'm, I'm messing with your theology today, and I know. I'm messing up your neat little plan life, and I know that too. Because what we want, I want it, you want it. It's Jesus, tell me what to do so I can check the box and I can guarantee the results. I want guaranteed results. That's not Christianity. That's heathenism. It's religion, but it's not Christianity. Christianity is a daily walking with Jesus. And I love um, Williams' translation. It's, it's kind of a, a rarer translation. A lot of people aren't familiar with it. But Williams, in his translation of Philippians 4, we know it. It's You all know it. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. All right? Williams translates it based on the Greek. And it's a really good translation. Williams translates it, I am ready for every situation because of the power of Christ at work in me. Isn't that a great translation? It doesn't mean that, okay, whatever comes along, Jesus is just going to make it all better. He's just going to give and it's just all going to be better. No, what he's saying is, I am ready. I don't know what I'm going to face tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to face later today or next week or next year. And that scares us Because we are a culture, we are a society of planning and preparing and taking out insurance. All right? That's who we are. We've got insurance for everything. Don't you hate it? You can't go buy anything at the store. You want to take out a two-year plan on that? Want to take out a four-year plan on that? I only paid $4 for it. You know, you want to spend two to insure it. Um, But that's what we are. We're a nation trying to protect ourselves from all loss. And Jesus said you can't but here's the promise. I'll walk with you and supply. I'll supply supernaturally when you do lose, when you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be. I read a tweet this week. Beth Moore sent it out. Or maybe it was last week. I can't remember. But it made me stop and think. She said, not everybody who wanted to stay married forever got to. I thought, Lord, that's true. I know people who wanted to stay married forever, but they didn't get to. So who messed up? Was it him or her? See, that's what we did. Well, the answer is, yeah, both. (laughs) Some of you parents, you're sitting out there, and quite honestly, it's hard not to be offended with Jesus. Because some guy like me stood up here and said, if you'll do this, this, and this, Your kids will turn out right, and they'll follow the Lord, and they'll love him, and they'll have good jobs, and they'll get married, and they'll live happily ever after in the American dream. They may not have said it just in those words, but we implied it. And that's not your story today. As a matter of fact, you're sitting there thinking, Lord, I sacrificed. I made choices and things to be able to sit so I could get this result, and I'm not getting this result. my heart hurts for you today because some of you you're, you're wrestling between those two places is it God's fault or my fault and I often talk to parents or people and they're usually landed somewhere or the other it's either God's fault he didn't live up to what he said he would do or it's my fault I didn't do it the way I should have newsflash no you didn't and neither do I or any other parent or any other married person in here We mess up. Well, maybe if I had done it this way, maybe if I had done it that way, maybe, I don't know, and the fact is neither does anybody else. Here's what I do know, that Jesus says, I can walk with you and I'll give you this guarantee that I can be more for you in every situation than you can ever imagine. And it will be more than enough. Even when you feel like everything has fallen apart, everything has gone astray, everything has run off the track and off course, and you don't know where it's going to end. He says, I can be more than enough. And he says, by the way, this is what I came for. I came to be in relationship with you, not just to give you a bunch of good things, and here's my prayer for you and for me, that every day we're falling more and more in love with the giver and not the gift. We tend to love the gifts. Lord, I love what you give me and what you do for me. And we all do. That's, I mean, that's a part of life. I, you know what? If I have to choose between no running water and electricity, I choose running water and electricity, okay? I, I like it. I thank God for it. If I get to pick, I'm going to pick one. But Jesus is more than enough if I don't have it. If I get to choose between comfort or not comfort, I'm going to choose comfort. But Jesus is more than enough if I don't have comfort. If I get to pick between health and and being sick, I pick health. But he's more than enough, whether I'm sick or healthy. Are, Are you with me? Do you understand what we're saying here? This changed my life. Because I had to wrestle through this because my theology didn't add up with what I was seeing in my own life and in other people's lives. People I knew well who seemed to do everything I would think they did everything right. You say, well, there was some deep hidden sin. Maybe. But there wasn't in Job. And there wasn't in John the Baptist. And there wasn't in Daniel. Daniel. And then on the other hand, Paul gets delivered from prison and all kinds of miraculous things that God does for him. But Paul is the one who actually put Christians in prison and killed a few of them. I think that qualifies as sin. Are you following me? Are you with me? We're looking for 100% guarantees. This is not Sears, folks, or at least what used to be Sears. All right? I remember that. My dad wouldn't buy anything but Craftsman. Why? Because anything happened to that thing, you take back store, they give you another one. Now, I don't think they do that anymore. But that's what we want. I want a 100% guarantee. You say, well, now that you have sufficiently depressed me, Troy, okay, where do we go from here? Here's where we go. I'll tell you why this changed my life. I saw it with my sister when I was 13. It stirred something in me, and I've experienced it on my own, and I keep experiencing it, that when I come to him without my image and my expectation that, Jesus, you have to act or respond in a certain way. You have to do a certain thing in this situation. Otherwise, I can't be happy. I can't be whole. I can't have joy. I can't have peace. I can't have all these things, Jesus, unless you do this. What I have discovered and keep discovering is that I cannot have any of the things I thought I needed, and yet I am more whole than I have ever been in my life. That's miraculous. That's Christianity. That's Jesus. That's who he is and what he does. When he says he would never leave us or forsake us, he meant it. When he said, I will empower you, I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that is at work within you. I can't overcome this. There's nothing in my life, nothing in my life that I ever again want to apply the words to, I can't overcome this. Because him working in me, I can. I can't be happy in this situation. I don't ever want to say that. Because I can. As a matter of fact, here's the testimony that you and I have. Part of my message today and the person that I am today and the reason that I stand here before you today is because the Lord allowed my sister to be burned as an eight-year-old girl and to die. You say, there's nothing good, nothing good that comes out of that. There's nothing good about that situation. Oh, yeah? I have shared her story literally with thousands. Thousands. And the power of God, not only in her, but in me. And one day, I'll see her again. For all of eternity. And I don't know exactly what all will happen in heaven But I do think there will be some conversation about what Jesus did because of what she walked through and because of who he was in her as an eight year old girl. We live in a scary world. I recommend going and hiding in a cave without Wi Fi and no TVs or phones. It's my recommendation. I'm I'm kidding. You turn the news on, it's depressing. You look at your 401k and it's scary. And somebody's like, well, I wish I had one to be scared over. Um, you know, I, again, all these things. And Lori and I have had this conversation. You, you, a commercial or an advertisement or something comes on. And they're constantly making me afraid. You haven't prepared well enough for retirement. You haven't prepared well enough for this. You haven't prepared well No, I really haven't. Probably prepared for every eventuality. But yes, I have. Because I know Jesus. And I have Jesus. I have Him. And He has me. And it's enough. I want you to do something with me. Would you bow your heads? Here's how I want to close today. I want to pray for you, but while I'm praying for you, I'm going to encourage you just to ask the Lord to make it clear. Maybe you're offended with Jesus. You would never say that. Those those words wouldn't come out of your mouth. But Jesus says it's possible to be offended by him. Say, no, I'm offended at the devil. I'm offended at this person. Often at the very heart of it, our offense is with Jesus. Because if I believe in his sovereignty, if I believe that he is all-powerful and all-knowing and that he can do anything, then I have a hard time sometimes reconciling what I see. Maybe you're a parent here today and your children are not where you want them. And it is hard for you to reconcile that. Maybe you were one of those that Beth was talking about that you intended to be married forever, but you didn't get a choice. And it doesn't make any sense to you. Or some of you are saying, I just want to be married, but I'm not getting a choice in that either. Or a hundred other situations. Would you, right now, say, Jesus, would you show me, deep down in my heart, am I offended with you? Am I stumbling over you? Am I bitter at you? I I don't even want to say the words, but deep in my heart, is that the issue? if that's the case, would you ask him right now, say, Jesus, would you what do you want to say to me? Just ask him, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to hear right now? About this thing? About this situation? What do you want me to hear? And just listen for him to speak to your heart. It may be that Jesus spoke to you even just now. It may be that he's going to speak to you later through this day, tonight, tomorrow. He wants to talk to you all the time. So can I challenge you what you just did? Would you keep doing that? When these situations come along and they cause you to be offended with Jesus, Would you be willing to come right back to this spot? Not physically, but the place you are spiritually right now and say, Lord, am I offended at you? And if so, what is it you want to say to me? What do you want to tell me? What do you want me to hear? Some of you may not even be a believer. You may not be a follower of Jesus today because of things that have happened and you're just flat out offended with him. If Jesus is all he says he is, then why did he allow this to happen? I encourage you, go to him right now and say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say? And just listen for how he would prompt your heart. Lord, I pray for each one in here today and all who will be impacted by them, all of the circle of influence that they have. That, Lord, today, that you'd speak your word to them and their application of this truth would change their life, change the way they live, change the way they think, set them free. Keep setting us free. Lord, I want to keep being more and more free. Lord, cause us to believe that you are our 100% guarantee. You are. Just you. Not what you do or what you give. Just you. You are the guarantee. And your spirit in us, because your word says that. Your spirit is the guarantee of who we are and what we have. Lord, help us. And in those places where we're fighting, we're kicking and screaming, at least on the inside, where we're just, we're like a toddler, we're unhappy. We're unhappy with our parents' decision and what they're doing. Oh, Jesus, would you pour out your grace and would you speak to us in that place? And for those of us who are just apathetic, it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. God is God, and I don't like it, but there's nothing I can do about it. We've just resigned. Lord, would you speak and move by your spirit there too? Because that's not where you want us to be. Lord, do we want to live in a place where we believe that all that you're choosing and doing in my life is good, and it's meaningful and purposeful. And though I don't see it all now, I will one day. And in the meantime... I keep receiving you because you are enough. Would you do that in every one of us? Every single person here. I pray that we'd be encouraged today. It doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking, but Lord, living this way is free. It is freeing and freedom. And I want more. And I want more for us. So we're asking, Lord, do this in us. Do this. Transform us so that we look like you, Jesus. Keep changing us so we look like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.